scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father, uh, I pray now again as we open your word that it would be light and life to us. Help us as we listen and think. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enable us, yes, to understand, but most importantly, to believe. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to John, please, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to read the first 18 verses. Hear the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. No. Over the years, we've taken up much of what is in this Gospel of John. Um, I looked back in the records and realized 12 or 13 years ago, I actually preached from this passage during Advent, so four Sundays of Advent, four sermons from John chapter 1. Before that, back into the 90s, uh, I preached through what are known as the seven signs in the Gospel of John. You can divide this Gospel up really uh, in two sections if you want to do it just that way. The first 12 chapters covering these signs of Jesus, these miracles that Jesus performs And John calls them signs because he wants these miracles to point to something that is the coming, the kingdom of God and and, and the identity of the one who performs them, this Jesus, these signs. And you might remember if you've read through this gospel of John that, that John tells us the reason he's writing so that we may see these signs of Jesus and believe that he is the Christ the Son of the living God, and by believing have life in his name. So, so that's John's purpose. So we, we see those signs. So I preached once through those seven miracles of Jesus that we find in those first uh, 12 
chapters. Other times we've referred to the I am statements of Jesus, these statements that we read as our responsive reading this morning to, to kind of prime the pump, if you will, that, that Jesus claims to be the I am God, if you will, God in the flesh. So we've worked through those uh, on various occasions. We've considered John chapter 3, which you really have to if you're a Christian, to, to look at this interchange between Jesus and Nicodemus and, and know the necessity really of, of being born again, as even we read in these verses this morning, not of the will of man, but of God. And so we've, we've done that. We've, we've spent uh, various occasions looking at chapters 14, 15, and 16, most especially on our nights that we call Monday Thursday or this Holy Thursday, this, this, this time that really is covered in the life of Jesus in, those, in the, that, that, that section from 13 really uh, to 16. And, 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 and a bit beyond. So we've looked at that in, on various occasions on those nights with Great Prophet twice. I've preached through John chapter 17. Um, so you should dock my pay uh, for the second of those, I suppose. But, uh, but we, we, we spend a great deal of time in, in that chapter, that high priestly prayer of Jesus. We've used uh, from John's gospel, um, uh, Jesus entering into Jerusalem for Palm Sundays. We've used the, the Easter uh, for Easter Sundays, John's uh, resurrection uh, appearances of Jesus and all of that. So we've spent a great deal of time over the years uh, here and there in the Gospel of John. What I want to do this semester is take up uh, again, if you will, these chapters in John chapter 13 through 16, this what is known as the upper room discourse of Jesus, this time when Jesus is with his disciples right uh, before his crucifixion and then resurrection. Now, the reason that I've landed on these, this particular section of the Gospel of John is first, as you know, because it's in the Bible, and therefore it, uh, it, 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 it hits the primary uh, uh, criteria for for preaching so it's in the bible so we're safe there so whatever else i say doesn't really mean that much it's, it's mostly that it's in the bible so we're we're really safe there but secondly I, I must tell you i suppose i don't have to but i will that over the years of my life these passages have fed my soul <laughs> and i i'm drawn to them i must confess because of a need for my own soul's feeding. But, 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 but then, in addition to that, um, there's a question. And the question has arisen. And questions come to me, sort of cyclical. It's, it's rather interesting. I should keep better track of these. But over the years, it, it seems like certain themes in the body of Christ in Lawrence and on campus and so forth, certain themes seem to sort of cycle in and out and over the past couple of years, what's come a lot to us are questions concerning the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it isn't that these aren't good questions all the time. I'm just simply saying that it seems that at the moment, in the last few years, I'm always a little bit behind the times. It takes me a while to catch on to these things. But, but I've been getting questions about this. And so it's in these passages, especially John 14, 15, and 16. We'll begin with 13 just because it's a section but, but 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus teaches most, introduces most about the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the, an exhaustive teaching 
on the Holy Spirit because there we'd have to go to various other passages as well. And we, and we might in the year to come. But, but, but at the moment, just to take up this section contextually uh, in the Gospel of John, I think might be a help to us. And so you say, well, why is it then if you're going to preach from John 13, 14, 15, 16, you're starting with chapter 1, how long is it going to take us to get to John 13? <laughs> well, just a week. Because you see, we have to really begin with where we've begun, John chapter 1, 1 through 18, because it's the prologue. A prologue is the word before the word. It's, it's, it's that introduction, if you will. If you pick up a book, I always advocate for myself and for others, don't always do it, but you've got to read the preface and the introduction if there's one, because that's the word before the word. That's, 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 the, that's the story before the story. That's, that's telling you why we're going to be talking about this in the first place, why you should even read the rest of it, if you will. That, that kind of gives it to you. That's, that's supposed to, in some sense, catch you, and, and you're supposed to say, yes, this is, value. This is a valuable read because of, of what's in this preface this introduction here in this this prologue and so john lays this out you see in a way that that, that is to catch us to say listen this is who what this is about so you really should read the rest uh, and, and it really really does you see john's gospel as he lays it out is a bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the same in the sense that it's about Jesus and the coming of the kingdom and the gospel and all of that. So it's the same there. John traveled with Jesus, saw the same Jesus, believed in the same Jesus and all of that. But if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you read John, you find there's much in John that's not in the others because it appears as if John has just a little different purpose, if you will. He's really after meaning, after explanation, uh, as are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but, 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 but in a different kind of look a different kind of way in fact we have a word for these gospels matthew mark and luke you may have heard it we call them the synoptic gospels and that word synoptic means well just that you know what optic is it's 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 seeing it's a viewpoint it's a, it's a seeing to to see soon um, means together and so matthew mark and luke they're sort of seeing this together and so as you read them you find much overlap from one to the other in, in fact, what we see with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Matthew and, and Luke begin in a sense with genealogy uh, of Jesus and starting off. And Mark uh, skips that, goes to ministry. But what we find with John is he goes into eternity when he begins. Notice, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a catchy opening line. See, listen, there was one who was in the beginning that is before us, you see? And he didn't begin when we began because he already was when we began. And then all of a sudden you get a sense, should get a sense, that this is bigger than we could ever Imagine, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. And so, on the one sense, you see, he's distinguished in some sense from God. He was with God as a, as a peer, if you will. It gives the appearance of a peer with, with God. But on the other hand, was also God. So, distinguished from, but not. Well, it was different, but, but the same as, as God. This is who he is, this, this Word. And it, it harkens us back to creation when only there was God. D.A. Carson, a really great a New Testament scholar and theologian uh, 
from a book called The God Who Is There. You should read that book. It's a really, really accessible and helpful book. The God Who Is There puts it like this. He says, in fact, Christians have invented a word to refer to God. This one God, we say, is the Trinity, the three-in-one God. Not only is the Father God and Jesus the Son is God, but the Holy Spirit is God. We'll see that when we get to chapter 14. No Christian, no matter how learned or thoughtful, pretends to understand all of this completely. Historically, Christians have found ways to speak about these things without falling into silly contradictions. They say, for instance, that the Word shares one substance with the Father, but is a distinguishable person. So you see, that's why we say one God, three persons, with God, person, peer, distinguishable, was God. How else could you say it? How else could you say it in a sentence? All of that together. I think something like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Carson ends his paragraph by saying this, but Christians have also learned not to pretend we understand more than we do, because we can declare it even if we can't explain it. It is true. And so this declaration of John in this gospel, that's what gospel is. Gospel means good news, we know, but, but, but gospel is a declaration of news which is so good that you can't keep it to yourself. In the days that John wrote, the word gospel meant just that. If, if, there was, if people heard the word gospel, what they thought was something is going to be declared to us that has happened, that is so good that it's going to change everything, so everybody needs to know about it. So it might have been, gospel might have been uh, a king uh, declaring that a great victory had been done in battle. And they said, well, that's gospel. That needs to be declared. That's great news. That changes everything. Everybody needs to know that. And so John's saying, wait a minute. I'm going to use this word gospel. I'm going to apply it to this because this one who was in the beginning with God has come. I want you to know that. Everybody needs to know that. (laughs) That's good news. That changes everything. That's gospel. That's why we use that word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John would, perhaps pun intended, flesh this out uh, during the rest of his gospel. For instance, he would see Jesus um, in a particular situation, and, 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 and Jesus would say this, John chapter 5, verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son just to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him in other words if you honor me you honor god if you honor god you honor me with god was god on another occasion jesus is speaking to a group of, of of religious leaders and Jewish religious leaders. And he says to them, truly, truly, I I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that would boggle your mind to be standing with a person in a contemporary moment. And he said, I've existed before Abraham. And then he uses this word, I am, meaning that I am, if you will, God. On another occasion, 
he speaks to a group of people, again, religious leaders, and he says to them, I and the Father are one. And they realized what he was saying. They realized that he was claiming himself to be God, and so they were going to stone him for blasphemy. And, and then on another occasion, when Jesus was with his disciples, and we'll come to this when we get to John chapter 14, he, he speaks to his, 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 uh, his apostle, this disciple, Philip, and he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so, so you, you get this sense throughout John's gospel as he develops this out. We see this deity of Christ, this eternity of Christ, really, that, that he, is, he is one with, with God. And then notice, not only in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was, with, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and him was life, and that life was the light of man. In other words, what John is doing is he really is going back to a creation notion, isn't he? You go back to Genesis 1, in the beginning was God. Well, in the beginning was the Word. He was there in the beginning and, and now is still. This sense of creation. And, and he hearkens back to that. And, and he says, all things were made through him. This Word of God. And we think about Genesis, God spoke and there it was. Jesus being the very uh, expression, self-expression of God. The creative expression of God. Well, when Jesus shows up, creation <laughs> happens, if you will. And so John is in a sense saying, well, I'm talking to you about creation. A re-creation. That's what you're going to read about in the midst of this coming through this word. Because in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, just like in the first creation there was darkness. There was Jesus the word spoken, light came, dispelled the darkness, life came. Just now there's, there's darkness, and we'll read of that darkness. Now a moral, sinful darkness that's come over the earth on humanity. And now this one who is the light will come and shed light in the darkness, dispel it, and, and, and God will be revealed. You feel already in verse 5 this tension between light and darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, others of you read from the New International Virgin, Version, which is fine. Others read from the New American Standard, which is fine. Great translations of the Scripture. But they have, and the NIV has it, where the darkness has not understood it. The, New American Standard Version has, but the darkness has not comprehended it. Literally, the word means seized it. The darkness has not seized it. And so the nuance that the NIV of the New American Standard catches there is, is, is sort of like a student. When a student seizes the information, they get it, they grab a hold of it. We say they've understood it. They, they've, they've comprehended it. They've seized it. But you know, seizing can happen the other way too. <laughs> there are times when, when the information can seize the student and, 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 and they won't understand it. It will actually overtake them. That's the nuance that's taken up here. The point being that when the light shines, it triumphs. The darkness doesn't overcome it, doesn't overpower it. But 
we can see real darkness. For instance, we've, we read before our time of confession this passage in John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed, you see. That's this sense of darkness. It isn't just simply we, we don't get it. It's that we don't want to get it. We, we want to move this light out because it's exposing our sinfulness, our evil deeds. But when we do get it, when we do understand what it means is that light has overcome that darkness. Notice verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In fact, the Apostle Paul lays this out with creation language in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. In a particular context, he says, verse 4, in their case, that is unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who has said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, in order for this darkness to be overcome, light must come, light that's powerful to dispense this moral darkness. And what Paul says is that in Jesus, it comes. John, in his gospel, illustrates this out of the life of Jesus. You might remember the one of Jesus' I am statements, in fact, we read it just a few minutes ago, is I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus had a great advantage as a teacher that the rest of us don't really have. And that is when he needed an illustration, he could just make one. And so in order to illustrate the fact that he's the light of the world, he came upon a man who had been born blind. And he said, I will show you that I'm the light of the world. And he gave that man sight. And he said, see, I bring light. By way of me, you can see. What was amazing was the darkness, the moral darkness that existed among the religious leaders who saw that miracle. Because they didn't bow before Jesus They didn't follow after Jesus. They actually wanted to kill him. They actually wanted to get rid of him. Why? Because, well, he was taking their place. He was being honored. They weren't. He was being listened to. They weren't. And so all they could see was that their place was being displaced. That was the darkness. They missed it. And love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But then notice how John goes on. He says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He said, listen, 
You must receive him. Now, receiving is both passive and active. If you play football and you're a receiver, the passive part of your game is that somebody has to throw you the ball. That's what it means to be a receiver. You haven't got it. It's got to come to you. It means the passive part of that is somebody has to throw it to you. When you receive an invitation, it means someone has to send you an invitation. Someone has to actually invite you. You can't receive an invitation until it comes to you. If you receive a compliment, it means somebody's lying to you. No, it means, it means that someone is, has to say something favorable about you. That's the passive part of it. The active part of it is if you're playing football and you're a receiver, you have to catch it, right? If, 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 if you receive an invitation, you have to respond to it. You have to say, thank you, I'm, I'm coming. If you have to receive a compliment, you have to, you have to say, thank you, yes, who, and feel the good that comes from that compliment. You see, there's an active part, a passive part to it. And, and the same here. The active part to only receive him, they believed in his name. So that's how it is, you see. When the light comes, you, you believe in his name. You say, yes, this Jesus really is who he claims to be. That really is true about him. And I rest in that. It means everything, if you will, to me. One Old dead guy put it like this. He says, to believe is this. You not only say, yes, that's true about Jesus, but yes, this is good and most worthy of our love and desire. In other words, I say, this means everything. I'm going to rest, grab a hold of, I'm going to rest in, on, this, on Jesus. We can contrast that in the scripture. In other situations, we find this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and and he so loves his stuff that he can't receive and believe. And yet there's this despicable person, Zacchaeus, who's a thief and a traitor of his people. And yet when Jesus comes and the light comes, he sees it and, and he receives Jesus and believes. And it changes everything in his life. Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley. Charles, many of you know, was the hymn writer, really a good theologian in his own part, but the hymn writer of the church in his day, still in our day. In a particular poem that we sing, in the third verse of that particular poem, he lays this out, he writes, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, And nature's night, that's the darkness, you say. So I get it, that's what I was. But then he writes, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke my dungeon, flamed with light. He says, the light came. And when the light came, it dispelled the darkness. Passively, I was in darkness. I could do nothing at all. What had to happen is light had to come. And when that light came, it came with life. You see, a creative life, the speaking, the self-expression of God, that same expression that said to Lazarus, come forth. Wesley said, it happened. 
My dungeon was flamed with light. He said, then my chains fell off. My heart was then free. So I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You see, that's it, isn't it? You've received it passively. It had to come from outside of me. I was in darkness, in chains. He captures all of that, as poets can do, in just a line or two, an expression. And then he said, that came, and that came with life that broke the chains. I could see. And then the active part of receiving was believing. So I rose, I went forth, and I followed. In one sense, it's one big package with two parts. Receiving, believing. And he says, and then the end result of that is that, you see, those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not everybody is a child of God in this sense. In one sense, we're children of God, made in the image of God and all of that, yes. But there's this sense of being adopted into the family of God, of really belonging to him and knowing that we belong to him and, and being heirs of all that's true of God and his, his people. He says we have to have the right to become the children of God. And this is that right. When the light comes, we receive, believe, then we can say, I truly am a child of God. And that's the question. That really is the question of the ages. Am I a child of God? Really? Have I received? Have I seen? Do I believe? And then verse 14 really kind of captures all of it at this moment. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 16, For from His fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The Word became fresh, flesh. This, this ex- self-expression of God that existed with God, that was God, Now, at this moment, in what we call the Incarnation, so we just celebrated at Christmas, the Incarnation took on that which He was not. He did not give up that which He was, still was God, but took on Himself that which He was not, flesh, humanity. Again, if I may quote D.A. Carson. He said, The Word became something that He wasn't. He already existed. He was God's own agent in creation, but now he becomes a human being. And this human being is Jesus. John's gospel doesn't tell us that the word word merely clothed himself with animal humanity or pretended to be human or coexisted with a man called Jesus. Nor does it imagine that all of God is exhausted in Jesus, for then Jesus would not have a heavenly father to whom to pray. The language is exquisitely precise. The word is became flesh, the Word, without ceasing to be the Word, and therefore God's own peer and God's own self. The Word became a human being. Small wonder that Christians across the ages have referred to Jesus as the God-man that He is. We explain that no better than we explain Trinity, but we declare it with the same confidence and joy as we declare Trinity. But notice, 
The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that expression became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, he's referring back to Old Testament, not Genesis at the time, but Exodus. Uh, because this word dwelt, as many of us know, means tented or tabernacled among us. And that's a, a, a technical Old Testament language. Because the tent in Exodus, known as the tent of meeting, or the taber- tabernacle in Exodus, um, these were places where the glory of God lived. So we talked about the tent of meeting or the tabernacle in the Old Testament. This is the place, as we read, where, where the glory of God was. And, and this would be a place where Moses, in those days, met with God. In the image given, he met with God as a man meets with his friend face to face. Now, we know that isn't literal because we know from what Exodus tells us, if Moses had seen God face to face, he would have been consumed. But, but, but the image is there personally. That's what you mean. And, and we know that in this tabernacle where the sacrifice was made, blood was shed, we, we know that in that place was where sinful human beings were reconciled to God. So what we're having is this word who becomes flesh, is this very one who is the glory of God, this very one we meet with God through him intimately as a man meets with his friend face to face. Think about that. And then he's the very place, the very one in whom we are reconciled to God. That's what that means. And then it says, carrying on that same Exodus image, he says, here he is full of, we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, you you remember there was a time in the life of Moses that he said to God, show me your glory. And you remember what God said? He said, well, you, you can't. I'll put you in this little cleft in the rock here and I'll pass by you. You can see my backside, but not my front, whatever that meant. But then he passed his name before him. And we read this in Exodus 34. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God, of, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So when John writes of Jesus, he says, we've seen his glory, the very glory of God, full of grace and truth. Full of means characterized by, right? Full of grace and truth. Grace and truth is the Greek, the New Testament equivalent to love and faithfulness. The very person of God. And he says, if you want to know the grace of God that forgives You want to know the truth of God that's reliable, that says this is the way of forgiveness. It all comes in Jesus. He is God with us. The glory of God, where we meet with God, where we're reconciled to God, full of grace and truth. He says, for from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. What does that mean? Literally, it means a new grace, a greater grace. That is, we had grace, but now we have grace that's greater grace 
than we had before. It isn't just simply piled on grace, but it's grace that's greater grace. It's qualitatively new, different. Still grace, we still recognize both as grace, but, but this one, if you could look at the both of them, you say, I want that one. That's grace that I want. And now we see it. He says, for the law was given through Moses, because you see, there was a grace that came through the law. But now he says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. As it does, you see. So this is the, the fullness of that grace and truth. And then he ends by saying, no one has ever seen God. The only God. That is the word who is with God. Who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He's the light. You want to see God. Go to Jesus. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. I've come to to reveal God. I'm the light. And you say, well, what gives you the authority to do that? What gives you the wisdom to do that? How do we know we can trust you? And he says, because I'm at the Father's side. I was with him at the beginning. I am, in a sense, of him. I am God, as he is is God. In fact, through the Gospel of John, what we find so often is this, this idea of where is this one from? They were amazed to learn that he was from Nazareth. And when they found out he was from Nazareth, that meant nothing other than the fact we shouldn't listen to him. And so Jesus would, no, 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 no. The Father has sent me. I've descended from heaven. I'm going to ascend back to heaven. In fact, do you know what the last question Pilate at Jesus' trial, the last question Pilate asked Jesus The next to the last question was, what is truth? The last question was, where are you from? John chapter 19. And the reason that he asked that question, where are you from, was because for Pilate, he was willing to crucify Jesus because he claimed to be the king of the Jews, a rival king and all of that. But he really didn't want to do that, especially after his wife says, don't do this. But he went to the, back to the Jews and said, why don't you crucify him? They really couldn't. They didn't have that right, it appears, to kill in that same sense. Even if they did, they were probably smart enough to try to get somebody else to co-conspire with them. And they said, well, the reason that he needs to die is because he claims to be the son of God. Now, that bumped things up a bit, even in the mind of Pilate. Well, it's one thing to claim to be the king of this group of people over which I'm really their ruler, but but, but it's another thing to say he's the son of God. If I'm Pilate, I'm thinking, I could kill another king, the son of God? Do I really want that one on my record? And so he went to Jesus, and he said, where are you from? Because you see, that's really the question. Where's he from? Remember reading years ago that um, someone asked Larry King, the great uh, interviewer of everything that moves, and probably some things that don't. I've seen some of his guests. <laughs> but they said, if you could interview anybody, who would it be and what question would you ask? And he said, I'd interview Jesus Christ. And they said, what question would you ask? 
And he said, I would ask him if he were virgin born. He said, because if he, if he was virgin born, then that changes everything. Why? Because if he was, it means he wasn't from here. Originally, he was from heaven. And if he was from heaven, at the Father's side, in the beginning, with God, was God, it changes everything. There was a time in the life of Jesus, two Greeks coming for Passover in Jerusalem came to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, and he said, I'd like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew and said, got these guys who want to see Jesus, what do you think? So they together went to Jesus and said, there's two Greeks who want to see you. Now, I would have expected at that point in time, this is John chapter 12, by the way, I would have expected John, uh, Jesus to say, well, I'm too busy or I've got a lot of my mind. I'm going to be crucified in a couple of days. Um, trying to die for the sins of the world. It's kind of occupying me at the moment. Um, but he didn't. He said, the time has come for the Father to glorify the Son. In other words, what he's saying is, hold on, you'll see me. Because I am the glory of God. I've come, the Word, become flesh, dwelt among you. In my dwelling, I'm the very glory of God. You haven't seen that yet. My glory has been veiled. Oh, you've caught glimpses when I changed the water into wine. You, you saw my glory. When I healed the son of the, the Roman official, you saw my glory. When I, when, I, when I healed that man by the pool who had been paralyzed all those years, you saw my glory. When I fed the 5,000, you saw my glory. When, 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 I, when, I, when I walked on water, you saw my glory. When I gave sight to the man who couldn't see, you saw my glory. When, when I raised Lazarus from the dead, you saw my glory. Those the signs, they, they, they showed you my glory. Glimpses here and there, but, but where you'll really see God is when I'm lifted up. The night that Jesus was betrayed, took bread after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you, the glory of God, grace and truth, forgiveness of sins, you can trust this. Same way, again after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples. He said, this is grace upon grace. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Think of me when you do this because you see, this is the glory of God. When I'm lifted up, when I shed my blood, when I give my body, you will see God. Grace, truth, receive, believe, light, darkness. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven. We believe that Jesus has come. Made his tent among us. Shown his glory, his face, that we might be reconciled to you, be your children. So I pray even now you take this bread and this juice and set it apart in a way that we would know that is true, that we can see grace and truth in him, the very glory of God. And Know that while he died, he rose, and while he rose, he ascended, and in his ascension, he rules and reigns, and yet still, by his Spirit, is with us now in this place. Enable us to receive. Enable us to believe. Enable us to walk with him as children of God. And this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I remind you, this table is not the table of grace. Evangelical Presbyterian Church is the table the Lord, he invites to it. All those who receive and believe, all those who understand themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy, and all those who receive and depend upon Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the Savior of sinners, and all those who desire then to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's true for you. I invite you to come these two sections, down this aisle to my left, these two down the aisle to my right. Come to the table, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and if you do, as you do, allow yourself in your mind or with your lips to say, I receive, I believe. Please come.